0: Well, book four opens with a question that's been on the tip of all of our tongues. Ademantis is the one who actually articulates it, but he's like, where's the fun in any of what you've described? How does this make us happy, Socrates? That's where we begin at 419a. And Socrates, who refuses to uh, come out of character, is going to give this really long explanation of why these men must also be the happiest. So this begins at 420b and takes us all the way through uh, 422. So let's, let's go with that. Making our way by the same road, I said, I suppose we'll find what has to be said. We'll say that it wouldn't be surprising if these men, as they are, are also happiest. However, in founding the city, we are not looking to the exceptional happiness of any one group among us, but, as far as possible, that of the city as a whole. We suppose we would find justice most in such a city, and injustice in its turn, in the worst governed one, and taking a careful look at them, we would judge what we've been seeking for so long. Now then, we suppose we're fashioning the happy city, a whole city, not setting apart a happy few and putting them in it, We'll consider its opposite presently. Just as if we were painting statues and someone came up and began to blame us, saying that we weren't putting the fairest colors on the fairest parts of the animal, for the eyes which are fairest had not been painted purple but black, Uh, we would seem to make a sensible apology to him by saying, you surprising man, don't you suppose we ought to paint the eyes so fair that they don't even look like eyes and the same for the other parts but observe Whether assigning what's suitable to each of them, we make the whole fair. So now, too, don't compel us to attach to the guardians a happiness that will turn them into everything except guardians. We know how to clothe the farmers in fine robes and hang gold on them and bid them work the earth at their pleasure and how to make the potters recline before the fire, drinking in competition from left to right and feasting and having their wheels set before them as often as they get a desire to make pots, and and how to make all the others blessed in the same way, just so the city as a whole may be happy. But don't give us this kind of advice, since we were to be persuaded by you, the farmer won't be a farmer, uh, the potter a potter, nor will anyone else assume any of those roles that go to make up a city. The argument has less weight for these others. The men should become poor menders of shoes, corrupted by and pretending to be what they are not, isn't so terrible for a city, but you surely see that men who are not guardians of the laws and the city, but seem to be, utterly destroy an entire city, just as they alone are masters of the occasion to govern it well and to make it happy. Now, if we're making true guardians, men least likely to do harm to the city, and the one who made the speech is making some farmers and happy banqueters like men at a public festival and not like members of a city, then he must be speaking of something other than a city. So we have to consider whether we are establishing the guardians looking to their having the most happiness, or else, whether looking to this happiness for the city as a whole, we must see if it comes to be in the city and must compel and persuade these auxiliaries and guardians to do the same so that they'll be the best possible craftsmen at their jobs, and similarly for all the others, and, with the entire city growing thus and being fairly founded, we must let nature assign to each of the groups its share of happiness. You seem to me, he said, to speak finally. Then will I, then will I, I said, also seem to you to speak sensibly if I say what is uh, akin to that. Uh, what exactly?' Take the other craftsmen again and consider whether these things corrupt them so as to make them bad. What are they? Wealth and poverty, I said. How? Like this. In your opinion, will a potter who's gotten rich still be willing to attend to his art? Not at all, he said. And will he become idler, more careless than he was? By far. Doesn't he become a worse potter then? That too, by far, he said. And further. If from poverty is not even able to provide himself with tools or anything else for his art, he'll produce shoddier works and he'll make worse craftsmen of his sons and and any others he teaches, of course. Then from both poverty and wealth, the products of the arts are worse and the men themselves are worse. Looks like it. So as it seems, we found other things for the guardians to guard against in every way so that these things never slip into the city without their awareness. I want you to think here of the symposium, for those of you who are familiar with it, and what it means to be the child of want and of plenty. Because I'm hearing an echo of that in this 421D through E passage. Um, So just keep that in the back of your head. If you have access to the symposium, please look over uh, that speech, um, uh, which is a pretty famous speech um, about the children of want and plenty. Uh, Adama's speech. Um, All right, so we go from there uh, to wealth and poverty, I said, since the one produces luxury, idleness, and innovation, while the other produces illiberality and wrongdoing, as well as innovation. Uh, Most certainly, he said, however, Socrates, consider this. How will our city be able to make war when it possesses no money, especially if it's compelled to make a war against a wealthy one? It's plain, I said. That against one it would be harder, but against two of that sort it would be easier. How do you mean? I said. Well, I said, first place, if the guardian should have to fight, won't it be as champions in war fighting with rich men? Yes, he said. That's so. Now then, Ademantus, I said. In your opinion, wouldn't one boxer with the finest possible training in the art easily fight with two rich, fat, non-boxers? Perhaps, but not at the same time, he said. Not even if it were possible for him to withdraw a bit, I said, and turning on whichever one came up first to strike him, and if he did this repeatedly, in sun and stifling heat, hmm? Couldn't such a man handle even more of that sort? Undoubtedly, he said. That wouldn't be all that surprising. But don't you suppose the rich have more knowledge and experience of boxing than the art of, than of the art of war? I do. Then in all likelihood, our champions will easily fight with two or three times their number. I'll grant you that, he said, for what you say is right, in my opinion. What if they sent an embassy to the other city and told them the truth? We make use of neither gold nor silver, nor is it lawful for us, while it is for you, so join us in making war and keep the other's property. Do you suppose any who hear that will choose to make war against solid, lean dogs rather than with, dogs, uh, with the dogs against fat and tender sheep? Not in my opinion, he said, but if the money of the other is gathered into one city... Look out that it doesn't endanger the city that isn't rich. You are a happy one, I said, if you suppose it is fit to call city another than such as we've been equipping. So I, I think that's hilarious. And I do hear um, a little bit of Jesus' voice to the rich young man. He's like, I've already done everything. I'm, I'm perfect. Like, what else could you ask me to do? And when you are talking about rubber meeting the road, it is ridiculously difficult to even imagine that there's a Calipolis out there that could last or guardians would be willing to serve uh, and yet Socrates has pointed out if you choose the wrong guardians that sort of a city will definitely fall.